Let's look at Genesis chapter 24. Last week we talked about Abraham, Sarah, and hope in chapter 23. And isn't that like life? You go from a funeral to a wedding. And that's where we are today. Isaac's delight. It's one of the great love stories of all the Bible. And speaking of love stories, today, our BRPM, you know who that is? Our beloved retired preacher man. (laughs) And his bride celebrate 46 years today of of marital bliss. Congratulations. (laughs) They're not the only ones celebrating today. Today is January the 24th. Teresa and I were married 428 months today. So we're celebrating. Hey, let me tell you guys, if you're not celebrating every month, you're missing a great opportunity. I'm telling you. And for those of you who will sit there with your calculator, that's 35 years and eight months, okay? 428 months. But we have a great love story today, okay? The story has Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, and then a major player is a guy that is, whose name is Eleazar, and that is Abraham's servant, okay? All of these stories come together. We see each of them playing their part in this life drama. But as we go through the story today, I want to tell you right up front, the story's not about Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, or Eleazar. The story's about God. The story is about God. God is the center of the story. God is the hero of the story, and he is the one who gets the glory. What's encouraging today, church, and I don't, don't miss this, as God gets the glory, there are no miracles, uh, there's no, no parting of the Red Sea, there's no pillar of fire by night, there are no clouds by day so that the people follow, but yet we see in chapter 24, God makes himself known in everyday events, and we see from Genesis chapter 24 that all of life is a miracle. God is at work around us all the time, all the time, making, bringing things together, and his providential care is so evident in our life. As a matter of fact, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, God's providence. What does God's providence mean? It means that all things, that that God is at work in all things that happen to us. The bad, as we saw in 23, the death of Sarah, and we talked about last week from Romans 8, 28, the bad and the good. God is at work all the time. The doctrine of providence, God's providence teaches us that what God creates, he continually provides for, that's where we get the word providence. (laughs) What, What God creates, he continually provides for and sustains. Nothing, great or small, is outside of his absolute control. We see this in the New Testament. This is, it's beautifully portrayed in the Old Testament as we'll see in a few weeks in the life of Joseph. You think about Joseph's life, all the twists and turns from the pit to the palace, all the things that Joseph went through. God was working out his plan. We see in the Old Testament, the book of Esther, all the things that just happened to happen at that particular time. We see it in the book of Ruth. So it's not just an Old Testament concept, but it's a New Testament doctrine. Colossians 1.17 says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isaiah 46.10, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. This morning, I want you to listen out for one little word. It's called all, okay? All means all. 
And God is in control of all things. What does it mean for us? J.I. Packer says, The doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces such as fortune, chance, luck, or fate. All that happens to us is divinely planned. And each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice. Knowing that all is for one spiritual and eternal good. And church, that's what we're going to see this morning in chapter 24. Uh, trust, obedience, and rejoicing. As we see an important part of God's overall plan of redemption coming together. And that's what we need to keep in mind as we look at the story of, of Abraham, his servant, Isaac, and Rebekah. And remember how all this fits in to God's overall plan of redemption that it continues to impact our lives today. Again, but we will see this again so clearly today as we see this story. But as, as we begin, I want to just kind of let, let you in on this because I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know what's going on in your life. A lot of you certainly we know and we kind of keep in touch, but, but you know, there may be some people today who feel like I'm living in the far country. Why why has God forsaken me? There's really nothing happening in my life today, or there's some really bad things that have happened that I just can't get over. And there's a root of bitterness in my life. I don't understand why this happened to me. I hope today that as we look at God's providence, as we look at God's word, that you would be encouraged, that we would all be encouraged, that God has a purpose for your life, and he is bringing things together to achieve his perfect will. I believe that we can all be encouraged from the word this morning as we learn some principles of following divine guidance. Our our story today fits into the great verse from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I want to put that up for you this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all, there's that little word again, in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. That the, or I always grew up, he will direct your paths. If we will trust in the Lord, if we will acknowledge the Lord, he will guide our steps. Now this morning, let's take our Bibles. Genesis 24, it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. So I'm not going to read all 67 verses. But I, I want to begin in verse 30, 33, I think is what I said, 33. And just to kind of bring you where we are, Abraham's servant has gone back to Abraham's people. They're now in a country called Mesopotamia. And he has gone back looking for a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. He has found Rebekah. Rebekah has taken him home. Rebekah's brother Laban and her father Bethuel are sitting at the dinner table. And so before they eat, look at verse 33. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I've told my business. And he said, Laban said, speak on. So he said, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. This is important to remember. Abraham is a blessed man. He's a rich man. And it's very obvious as we'll see in this story. 
Verse 36, now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. So Isaac has everything Abraham has. He is, his, his mothership has come in. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, suppose a woman does not follow me. Again, this is important too is in our study. There was no guarantee of success. The servant said, I may fail. I'm going to try, but I may fail. What if I fail? We'll see. Suppose a woman does not come to me. He said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel and with you to make your journey successful, and you will take a wife for my son, for my relatives, <clears throat> and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives, and if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So there's his out. If she won't come, you're free to, to go, free from the oath. So I came today to the spring. This is where the story gets interesting. The servant's telling what happened today. I came to the spring and said, this is his prayer. O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful. Behold, I am standing by the spring, as if God didn't know where he was. And may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar. Here's the condition. And she will say to me, you drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her the one who says, you drink and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. This is the one. Before I'd finished speaking in my heart, I love that part. Before I'd even finished praying, the servant says, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will water your camels also. Yes. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose. Isn't that great? I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed low and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the matter comes from the Lord. So you cannot speak. So we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this wonderful story. A story of love, a story of faith, a story of obedience, a story of miracles, the miracle of life as you direct our steps. Lord, may we be encouraged this morning to trust in you with all of our heart. May we be encouraged in all of our ways to acknowledge you and Lord, then to follow your leading in all that you lay before us. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So this is Eliezer's story. As he is told, and we, we kind of gave you the cliff notes here. We're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 24, actually in verse 1, and look at what happened to this point. But I want you to get the overall story. Abraham has sent his servant on a mission to find a wife 
for his son Isaac. So we're going to look at the four main characters and what we see, I see, is outstanding in their life that could be an example for us, an encouragement to us, okay? First of all, Abraham. Abraham was a man of dedication. He was dedicated to God's purpose. We see this in all of Abraham's life. We saw this last week when he buried Sarah, his wife, in a, quote, foreign land. But it was the promised land. Now we see Abraham's dedication to God's purpose when it comes to the wedding of his son, Isaac. It's interesting to note, Isaac is 40 years old. Maybe that would be an encouragement to some of you. He's 40 years old. God's promise was that through Abraham's seed, which was Isaac, the only one, that all the nations would be blessed, that the, the people would be as numerous as the stars, as the grain of the sand of the sea, and he's not even married. So Sarah dies, and Abraham says, it's time to find a wife for my son. But there are two things that Abraham insists on. Number one, we see in verse three, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. We are not going to intermarry with these people here. It's interesting, Sarah was buried here because the land was the promised land, but the people were not the promised people. God's going to raise up for himself a new people, a chosen people, a holy nation for his own, uh, own purposes, for his own glory. But the Canaanites were a pagan people. So Abraham insists on two things. Number one, Isaac will not marry a local girl. Secondly, verse 6, then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there, which is back to the former, his former home to the old country. It's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 11, Colby read that a while ago. It tells us that they, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would, not have, they would have had opportunity to return. What's God telling Isaac, I mean, telling Abraham? Hey, this is a new deal. This is a new life. You've cut the strings from your old way of life. You know, I've, I've thought about this many times and applied it to where we are. I've heard so many testimonies that give more glory to the devil than they do to God because they talk so much about the old country. This is what I used to be. This is what I used to do. This is, and oh, by the way, I did get saved. You know, we, we can't live thinking about the old country. We can't leave opportunities in our life to return to the old nature. That's what we're talking about, the way we live before Christ. See, we're new people. We're new creatures in Christ. And so Abraham knew the danger. He knew the two dangers. He knew that the culture that he was living in that would pull his son down if he married a godless woman. That's where we see the principle all throughout Scripture. We are to marry in the Lord. Marry in the Lord. Then also he knew the principle of spiritual disintegration. When we turn and go back to the way we used to live, we go back to the old crowd. We go back to the old lifestyle. Oh, I'm okay. I'm a Christian. I'm strong enough. No, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals every time. So that's, you know, we see that here. Abraham says, no, don't marry a pagan girl. Don't get, it. Don't get a pagan girl for my son. And don't take him back to the old country. Abraham's seed was going to be a distinct people set apart from the Lord. 
And church, that's who we are. We're God's people. We can't afford to go back to the way we used to live, and we can't afford to be pulled down with the lifestyle of those around us. We're to be light in a world of darkness, but be careful. I've told as a youth pastor for years, you know, youth pastors never die. They just put them out to pastor. And that's what I did. When I was put out to pastor, but I continue to tell people, every friend you've got to do one of two things. They'll either build you up spiritually or they'll pull you down and destroy you spiritually. And so that's what Abraham was telling his servant. Don't let him marry a local girl. These are pagan people. So how could Abraham be so confident? Abraham was confident because he knew that God would provide the right woman for his son. He trusted the promises of God and had dedicated his life and his son's life to God's purpose. I'll never forget the, the day I introduced Teresa to my, wife, to my mother to, as my potential wife. I introduced her mom, and she looked at Teresa and said, Teresa, I've been praying for you since the day Keith was born. I mean, I'm not smart enough to marry a woman like that, but God knew that. Answered my mother's prayer. Abraham had dedicated his life, and he had dedicated Isaac. You remember Isaac's baby dedication on Mount Moriah when he took the knife and did the whole thing? You know, we don't do that here, but we do dedicate our children to the Lord. So Abraham was dedicated to the purposes of God. He knew that God would supply the need because he believed that God would accomplish his promises. And what is that? It's called faith. Faith. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, without faith... It's impossible to please God. And that's another sermon for another time. But as a result of of Abraham's dedication, a great burden fell on the shoulders of Abraham's servant. And this is where we see the second player in our story. And uh, he is not named in chapter 24, but we know that he is the firstborn in the household of Abraham. Look at verse 2. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned. And we know this from Genesis chapter 15, that his name is Eleazar. Eleazar. Because in Genesis 15, Abraham said, he, at this time Abraham has no children, has no hope of passing on an inheritance to one of his own kin. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And so we find in Genesis 24, 2, the one born in his house, the oldest, was Eleazar. I just like to put names on on these story characters, okay? And we'll do it again here in just a minute. But it's interesting, I think, too, that Eleazar's heart, he is a devoted servant. You think about all the side stories here. Who was Abraham's heir before Isaac and before Ishmael? It was Eleazar. He was the one who stood to inherit all the camels and all the livestock, all the silver, all the gold would have been his. But now he's out serving the one who replaced him as the heir. I just think that speaks a lot of his character. Have you ever lost a job to someone who wasn't as qualified as you are? Have you ever been asked to do something that was below your dignity? Have you ever been asked to humble yourself and do something you think, you know, I shouldn't have to do? Well, Eleazar could have done all that. You know, good things happen to Eleazar because he was faithful. And we see in his life the picture, an example of the faithful servant. 
Now, what do we know about Eleazar? Just four things I want to mention. First of all, when he came to this mission, <laughs> he promised to try. We see that in verse 2, and we see again in verse 9. Verse 9, So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, I'm not going to discuss this much because I don't know much about it, but there was this practice of a man putting his hand under the thigh of Abraham. This is what the servant did. We know that Joseph, Jacob asked Joseph to do the same thing whenever he's about to die. He wants to promise that you'll take my bones out of Egypt back to the promised land. But irregardless, I don't know why, but Abraham asked Eleazar to put his hand under his thigh uh, can I get two men to come up here and demonstrate? Well, no, no. Again, I don't know what he's talking about, but you know what, what hit me? <laughs> and this may be a side point, but when you do that, you're face to face. You're eye to eye. And this servant had to look in the eyes of Abraham and promise, I will go back. I will get a wife. I'm going to try. He said, what if she won't come? Then you're free. You remember that? We read that. That's an important part of the story. But the Eleazar said, I'm going to try. I'm going to go back. I'm going to be faithful to this promise. Church, let me tell you, God never promises us success in our mission, does he? We know that one day, every tongue and every tribe, there'll be people from all over the world who are going to come before the throne. And we know in that sense that the gospel ultimately is going to be successful. But for you and I, he never promises us success. All he asks us to do is to be faithful to be faithful, to do what we said we're going to do, to be faithful to the Lord. Eleazar is a picture of devotion there. He promised to try. Verse 8, if the woman's not willing to follow you, Abraham says, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So Abraham was adamant about that. So he promises to try. A good servant's primary responsibility is to be faithful to serve and to leave the results up to the master. So he promised. Secondly, he planned his strategy. He planned his strategy. I think this is interesting. Verse 10. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master, and he set out with a variety of good things of the masters in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. First of all, an important part of his strategy was what he packed. He took some good things from the house of Abraham. What kind of good things did he take? Well, in verse 22, we see that he had a gold ring weighing about a half a shekel. Where did he put it? In Rebecca's nose, ladies. He put it in her nose. He had two bracelets weighing 10 shekels in gold. I looked up a little bit and kind of shekels and I said, that's about $8,000 in bling for us today. I mean, that's a lot of bling, isn't it? And he put that in his camels. He had 10 camels. But also look at verse 22. He later, that's where we get the gold rings. Verse 53, he had articles of silver and articles of gold and garments. In verse 30, the ring and the bracelet were on, on Laban's sister's wrist. And Laban saw this. Now, these gifts were a part of the plan. These gifts were very important in the servant's strategy. When Laban saw all this bling, he said, you can have my sister. <laughs> what does Laban see? He sees dollar signs. 
He sees that his ship has come in. And we know Laban, we'll see later on, is trouble with the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. But all he could see would be dollar signs. So as the servant planned his strategy, he got all this stuff together, good stuff. He loaded up the camels. He traveled five to 600 miles to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, who was Abraham's brother. Remember that. His strategy included gifts and travel. Then we see in verse 11, he picked a strategic place at a strategic time. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. What's my point? You know, Eleazar didn't just say, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go and I'll just kind of, I'll just, you know. He had a plan. And church, there's nothing wrong with having a plan. There's nothing wrong with having a strategy. As a matter of fact, God encourages us to have a plan. To have, Jesus said, when a man builds a tower, he counts the cost. When a soldier, a general goes to war, he counts the cost. We need to have a plan. We need to have a strategy. And I'm so excited about our vision here at Alberta Baptist Church to know God, to find community, to live on mission, to see every believer exercising their gifts, working within their gift area, to reach this community for Christ, to have a plan, to have a vision. And I'm so thankful to work with that man right there who, who is a visionary. And we can pull this together. But, you know, again, God tells us to use our brain. (laughs) And we'll see that again in just a minute. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is clear all throughout Scripture. But he planned his strategy. But notice what else he did. Verse 12. And he said, who's he talking to? The Lord. Verse 12, he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Church, we can never underestimate the power of prayer. Amen? I mean, we can plan and strategize and do everything, but when we have a plan without God's blessing, no plan at all. Anything done in the flesh will not be successful. The servant demonstrates the importance to pray. He prayed for God's direction. It's interesting that he prayed. Verse 14. Now it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed. This is an important word. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Now, this, this is key, church, I think. An interesting was that she would be willing not only to give him a drink of water, but that she would be willing to water the servant's camel. Asking for the Lord's direction. He wanted to make sure that he was getting the right woman. Let me just say, hey, guys, good principle there, isn't it? Seek the Lord's direction. Make sure you're marrying in the Lord. Make sure that you've gotten the one the Lord has for you. The question is, how will, he's asking, how will I know which girl is the right one? Will it be her beauty? Will it be her gold jewelry? Will it be the way she's dressed? No. 
Eleazar says, God, it won't be her beauty. It won't be her clothing. It won't be her finances. It's going to be her heart. Show me this woman's heart. Show me her humble spirit. I want a woman for my master's son who will be gracious and willing to serve. Church, that's the whole point about watering the camels. We'll see that more in just a minute. Eleazar is praying, show me which one. He's asking for divine guidance. We see in verse 45, we read that he was speaking this in his heart. You know, what, what does that say about prayer? He wasn't lying you know, out on the face before the Lord. He wasn't standing up. He was speaking in his heart. Lord, just show me. Asking for God's direction. God moving and working in everyday events. And that's what we see here. He was at... Uh, Show me which one. He's asking for divine guidance. Kent Hughes, an author, says, this is the first prayer for divine guidance in all Scripture, and it involves marriage. I think marriage is important to the Lord. But notice he's not asking for a miracle. He's just asking for God's direction through ordinary affairs of life. Abraham, in verse 7 of chapter 24, had said that the Lord would send his angel before him. We don't see any angel. We never see an angel, but we see answered prayer. Now, which is more miraculous, to see an angel or for God to answer prayer? Kind of a toss-up in my opinion. But every day, God answers prayers. And every day, we see miracles all around. We don't have to see angels. We don't have to see lightning bolts. We don't have to just see God moving and working in our lives through answered prayer. So the servant, to me, is a great example of one who's determined to seek and follow God's will. He makes all the necessary plans. He uses all the proper strategy. But ultimately, he depends on the Lord for his success. But one thing quick, real real quick. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca was on the picture. Isn't Isn't that neat? Isn't that, how, isn't that so gracious of our God? Isaiah 65, 24. God says it will also come about, come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Serve a God who knows what we need even before we ask. That's how great our God is. Before he finished speaking, Rebecca shows up. Our Father knows what we need before we even ask. Eleazar, he made plans. He prayed for God's direction. He thirdly, fourthly, most importantly, verse 26, he praised God for success. Verse 26. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way of the house of my master's brothers. Eleazar, when he had success, he was quick to give the Lord the praise. Derek Kidner says, success, which inflates the natural man, humbles the man of God. Think about that. Success that inflates the natural man, humbles the man of God. If you think you are where you are today because of you, your efforts, that's going to be prideful. But if we can acknowledge humbly 
God's moving and working and blessing in our life, it draws us to true worship. That's what Eleazar did. He fell down and he worshiped the Lord. He thanked God for his success. His first thought was to give God the praise for the blessing. How can we determine to know and follow God's will? A couple things will be done. There was a great missionary named David Livingston, and a man wrote a book about his life. And observing Livingston's life, he was always seen to be in the center of God's will. And he said this because of several things. David Livingston had a singleness of heart. He was all about one purpose. Then he was very clear and very specific in his prayer life. And then he said the third thing about David Livingston in determining the will of God is that he was most careful to scan all the providential indications that might throw light on God's will. What does that mean? That he was single at heart. He was a devoted man. He had a single devotion to God's will. In other words, God's will was more important to him than anything else. Secondly, he was very specific in his prayer life. He's very disciplined in his prayer life. He had an intimacy with God because God was first place in his life. And then thirdly, he was very observant of the ordinary events in his life. He realized and recognized as we should that God is at work all around us all time. When we see God's providence working all around us, we don't always understand at the moment what's happening, but we can have confidence that God is causing all things to work together for good. That God is at work to accomplish his purposes in our life. Eleazar was devoted to his master. He was an example of faithful service. Y'all got to listen faster. Quick, number three. Rebecca demonstrated true humility. We see this in verse 15 and 9. Again, Rebecca comes and the prayer had been that you know, this woman would offer me a drink. And that she would also offer to order my camels. But several things had to be in place. First of all, she had to be of the right family. She had to be of the right family. She was, and not take the time of scripture, but she was the the daughter of Bethuel. You remember? Bethuel was born to Nahor, who uh, was Abraham's brother. So Bethuel had two famous brothers. Who were they? Uz and Buzz, you remember them? So Rebecca could say, hey, I'm the, I'm the niece of Uz and Buzz. That settled it right there. But if she had not been from the right family, the whole deal was off, okay? That was important. But the most important thing was her character. You know, I, I thought she, if she had said, I'm the daughter of Pitsuba, the son of so-and-so of Mesopotamia, then the whole thing was gone, down the drain. But she was of the right family. And it didn't hurt that she was good looking. Verse 16, the girl was very beautiful. I mean, that was a plus. Guys, that's always a plus. But obviously, she was in great shape. She watered 20 camels with her jar. It said that a camel would drink anywhere from 20 to 25 gallons of water in one sitting. That's over 200 gallons of water from a three-gallon jar. That's 70 trips from the stream back to the trough. She could have been Miss Aerobics of Mesopotamia. We don't know. She was in good shape. She was the right family. She was good looking and she was in good shape. Ladies, take that for what it's worth. Okay. So, but the character quality that made the difference is that she humbled herself. She humbled herself to serve a stranger. It was obviously her nature to go the extra mile. She gave a drink to Eleazar. And she watered her camels. 
Okay? So that, that's, the watering the camels part is very important in this story because it revealed to Eleazar the heart of this young woman. Ladies, let me tell you, that's the most important thing. Loving Jesus, having a humble spirit, loving Christ, spending time with him can do more for you than Mary Kay can ever do. I mean, it changes your whole appearance. It changes your whole outlook because it's not wearing gold jewelry and braiding your hair. It's the inner heart that makes all the difference. And that's what Rebecca had there. So she humbled herself to serve. Secondly, she humbled herself to step out. Over in 57 and 58, ultimately the decision to go back with this servant fell to Rebecca. Look at verse 57. The, the Laban, who gets together with their mother and said, we want her to stay at least 10 days. You know, Laban is the master of delay. We know when Jacob comes looking for his wife, Laban has two daughters, Rebecca and Leah. And he, he was the one who wrote, originally wrote the material, before you say I do. <laughs> you know, this is what you got to do. And so Laban is a master of delay. And if they had delayed, it would have been disastrous. So we see in verse 57, do not delay me. Excuse me. Let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10, afterwards she may go. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. We will call the girl and consult her wishes. Verse 58. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I'll go. Her willingness to go immediately prevented the servant knew to stay a day longer in the foreign country would have been disastrous. Again, church, we can't make allowances. We can't say it's just for a short time. We don't ever go back to the old country. It's dangerous. Rebecca was convinced that this was the Lord's will. She was willing to step out and go. She was interesting here. So, so how did this all come about? Was this Rebecca's decision or was she appointed by God? Yes. <laughs> yes. It was Rebecca's decision. You don't have to go, but you, I will go. I love that answer. I will go. But we've already been told it's appointed by God. Church, what do we see? We see the mystery of God's will. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. You know, God is working out, but we have to make decisions every day. We make choices every day. But yet God is working all things together for his good. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Uh, I, 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 let me just mention this because I thought it was funny. I started entitled this message, Deborah Hits the Lotto. Deborah Hits the Lotto. Now, what does that mean? Verse 59 Thus they sent away her sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham. We find out later in 35.8 that, that uh, Rebecca's nurse's name was Deborah. Think about how Rebecca's decision impacted Deborah's life. I mean, she's living as a nurse. We don't know the, the lifestyle there, but we do know that Abraham had Silver and gold and camels and livestock. And now Deborah, as Rebecca's nurse, is going to go back and live in that place. It's kind of like when Elizabeth married Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. And she lives at Pemberley. Remember that? I know I just lost all the men and lost, <clears throat> and lost most of my manhood. But we, we watched that the other night. But she's living in this place now, a castle. And you think about it. How our decisions, 
Our willingness to obey God and follow God impacts the lives of those around us. Those that we know, our loved ones, our friends. Now, you know, again, we see, you know, we could almost go crazy thinking about this, but all God asks us to do is trust and obey. But all the good things that happen when we follow God's will. Our obedience impacts the lives of our loved ones, those around us in the generations to follow. Then quickly, so uh, Rebecca was obedient. Uh, Isaac was delighted. Isaac was delighted in God's provision. We see this at the end of the chapter. Verse 67. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's tent, Mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He loved her. She was a comfort for him after the loss of his mother. He was delighted. Let me tell you what marriage ought to be. It ought to be a delight. Rejoice, Proverbs says, in the wife of your youth. Be exhilarated. The word actually means be intoxicated with her love. A godly marriage is to be enjoyed, not to be endured. And we see here a beautiful picture of marital love. He delighted in God's provision. 